My name's Phil Williams and I would like to welcome you to Audio Angling, the podcast site of fishingfilmsandfacts.co.uk. If I had wanted to record an interview such as this one exploring the sea fishing potential of the River Mersey back in the 1960s when I first started sea fishing, I probably wouldn't have been able to find anyone with anything much to say. Right from the very start of the Industrial Revolution through to quite recent times, the River Mersey, like so many rivers running through our city centres and industrial towns, was regularly used as an open-topped effluent channel, without any regard for the consequences, either current or future. That was until the 1980s, when two crucially important events took place. The first of these was the Topsteth Riots in 1981, the aftermath of which triggered a huge waterfront regeneration project on the strict instructions of the then Environment Secretary, Michael Heseltine. Event number two was to come about several years later, again under the Tories, in the form of a new organisation known as the National Rivers Authority, whose mandate it was to restore the condition of all UK watercourses, including those as far gone as the Mersey. It's on record that at various times of a non-too-distant past, the River Mersey has been described by scientists as being biologically dead. That was still the case when I joined the National Rivers Authority, now a part of the Environment Agency, at its inception in 1989, and throughout the early 90s when I worked right along the north bank of the Mersey estuary as the river clean-up kicked in. I remember well keeping an eye on work being done to get all those raw sewage outfalls still discharging into the river, diverted into a new main sewer pipe to an equally new sand and dock sewage treatment works, where I had the dubious honour of taking the first ever compliance sample when it finally got up and running. And 13 years later, I remember equally as well the excitement on the Environment Agency's internal grapevine, when in 2004, fishery bailiffs trapped a dozen salmon at the base of Howley Weir in Warrington. In just 13 years, the Mersey had gone quite literally from running sewer to running salmon. Obviously, these were the headline fish, but the river had been quietly going about its regeneration for quite some years before that, with an ever-increasing range of marine species running ever further and with more regularity into the estuary opening between New Brighton and Seaforth. With me today is Mersey small boat angler and gold medal winning Scottish international Mickey Duff, who's been fishing the area ever since the first of those fish started to come back. So when exactly was it that you first started to notice the changes from periodic bouts of fish around the fort and outer edges of Seaforth to greater numbers and variety of fish, both willing and able to press on right up inside the city centre? Ten, twelve years ago I started to pick up with the um, bass fishing. They may have been there for a long time but we don't know. But it's only in that 10, 10 years that we've started to really pick them up. And then the smoothhounds have come in, which we've never had smoothhounds before in the Mersey. They turned up, and then the thornback rays have turned up. Congers have turned up. And it's just it's just been improvements ever since. But there's also been a decline in, in some fish as well. And that's probably the silver eels. The big, big drop in silver eels in the river at the moment. That's a big problem. We don't know what's causing it. I think it may be um, commercial fishing that's decimated. That's looking inside the river itself, but I recall the winter cod fishing around Seaforth hitting the headlines probably as far back as the 1980s, when good fish were also being taken just slightly further to the north along the file coast. And throughout that period, both pretty much mirrored each other in terms of seasonal and size fluctuations before changing conditions within the river itself allowed better feeding grounds to establish, with the knock-on effect of drawing in the fish. 
the winter cod fishing was pretty good, in fact very good. And then as these other fish have started to come in, there's been a decline in the cod. The cod have got smaller and smaller each year. The whiting have got less and less each year. And it's just deteriorated. The larger fish have just disappeared altogether. There's odd fish now, eight, nine pounders, ten pounders. But they are odd fish. There's not as many of the big ones as used to be. We used to get influxes of five pounders, four pounders. We used to get them regular, lots of them. But they seem to have declined now. What we get now is nearly all pound and a half to three pound fish, and sometimes they don't even they they, they don't turn up. This year has been an except has been a quite an exceptional year for the small cod, but nothing big, mostly to three pound. But in fairness, the file course is exactly the same. So that trend probably has little to do with the Mersey itself. It could just be a fishery management issue for this sector of the Irish Sea. It could be, yeah. We just hope each year that it gets better, but it doesn't seem to. There's, there's plenty of small fish. There's plenty of small fish in the river, but the, the whiting population, we don't get them like we used to. We used to get shoals and shoals of white. And now sometimes you can fish all day and get one, two. It's just changed. And whether the cod are not coming in because of the whiting, I don't know. But again, all along the Lancashire course, it's been a similar story. When the fish did actually start venturing into the river, was it a progressive migration controlled perhaps by the distribution of food, which in turn might be governed by water quality? Did you notice any patterns to it back then? It's a few boats really that have started to catch these fish inside and out. And then the rest of the boats have cottoned onto it and and there's been more there's been more fishing which there wasn't so whether the fish were there I don't know but we don't think so there's a lot of intense fishing now actually in the river and on the banks just outside the river years ago with the small boats they weren't there to catch the fish so maybe they were there I don't know um, now it really uh, took off a couple of years ago, myself, you and John Greenfield motored up the river way past the locks of the Manchester Ship Canal to fish the gullies between the drying banks with float tackle for flounders and eels, which in the summer months is a good fallback situation for those days when the wind won't allow you access to the species you might otherwise prefer targeting, something which not a lot of people bother to do. So on a species-by-species species basis, how far up beyond the sheltered city centre part of the river do the more attractive fish get now? They raise it right down to Bromborough now. Thornback's right down to Bromborough. There's the odd conger Bromborough. There's bass down there. So they go right, pretty well right, right up the river. And the codder at Bromborough as well. They're right there down there. Tramere, Old Jesse, all along that area. Otterspool. They've all been picked up at some time or other down there. And sole as well. There's been quite a few sole off the Bromborough dock over the uh, summer. So they're spreading out right through the river. Especially on the on the, um, the Liverpool side, Seaforth, there's plenty of thornbacks in the river. But they can't trawl for them or, or net them because of the current, the tides, too fast. So they seem to have taken up residence just inside the river from Seaforth down. But they've declined on the uh, banks further out. I can remember years ago, you could go and fish the bar light and you'd get 80, 80 to 100 braids in, in the boat, an eight-hour trip. Now you're lucky to get any at all out there on the, at the bar. Very lucky to get a thornback. Interestingly, based on what I hear from Environment Agency fishery staff, 
At the same time as the marine species are now being encouraged to push ever deeper into the river from the seaward end, so far as the water quality and salinity will allow, freshwater species also appear to be making an equally impressive colonisation effort from the inland end. Hopefully then, they can start to overlap at some suitable point, leaving the entire river full of fish. <laughs> well, maybe, <laughs> maybe. There has been a few uh, salmon caught in nets and released, so it must be improving quite a bit. What then are the main species that boat and shore anglers can successfully target inside the saline lower reaches of the river over the winter and summer seasons? The smooth arms tend not to come into actual river mouth. They tend to stop at the rock channel at New Brighton. They never seem to come inside the river itself. But they're all over the banks just outside, all up the rock channel off Harrison Drive, right out to near enough the bar. The thornbacks are well in the river. They're all over the river, the thornbacks. Everywhere. And the conga. Conga seems to have turned up out of the blue. One year they were there, and that was it. Have you seen or heard of anything in terms of blips in water quality that may have coincided with observed blips in fish numbers or distribution? I don't know if there's been any blips for um, water quality. If there's any blips, it's through overfishing, commercial wise, I would say anyway. I don't think the water quality has got much to do with the actual amounts of fish in the river. I think some of the fish are just not getting through. Mostly the cod, the edibles. And, and the silver eels, they declined, must be 80% declined. We used to have fish matches and catch 20, 25 eels within three or four hours. Now they're lucky to get half a dozen, if that, in the match. Do you see many bass that far up then? Yeah, the bass go right down to the canal, the Manchester Ship Canal. The bass, bass are right down the river, as far as you can go. Plenty of flounders in the river. Not so many dabs down river. Once they get shallow off water, the, the dabs don't seem to go down there, but there's a lot of soil down in the shallow banks. The soil are right down as far as the Manchester Ship Canal. The rays don't go that far down. The mullet do. Imagine mullet in the river. The rays seem to stay out further in the deeper water. They don't seem to go that far down. And the, as I say, the soil, there's plenty of soil down there. Plates don't go down the river. They tend to stay further up the deeper water. Yeah, that's pretty much um, the fish that go right down. Now, we mentioned earlier that although the creeping colonisation of the river by an ever-increasing species mix has been happening over the past decade or so, good catches of big cod were being reported from the Seaforth dock area on the Liverpool side for quite a few years before that. Can you now take us back to that time and perhaps even hazard a guess as to when it was? With no previous track record to encourage investigation back then, and fewer suitable smaller boats to go looking for the fish, how did the realisation that the Mersey entrance was actually a premier cod fishery come about? I would say the cod have been there for a long, long time. We used to get them years ago when we were kids. We used to catch them off the uh, rock channel in them days. Then you built the rocks, put the Seaforth rocks in, and that's when people really started to fish. You start to fish the rocks, and that's when they used to start producing the big cod. Now, I don't know what year that was. Must be 20 odd years ago, maybe longer. That's when the cod started to get picked off and he knew that the cod were there. Then he starts fishing the Alec docks, starts having more matches on these venues and more cod because. The initial discovery then was made by anglers fishing from the shore. That was all off the shore then, in them days, yeah. There when... wasn't very many small boats then, with hardly any. So when did the small boats pick up on it? The small boats must have picked up 
15 years, 20 years ago. There was a little boat angling club started off and then it's just like being word of mouth. People have had good days and uh, everybody's piled in. Now you sometimes 20, 30 boats out of a weekend. It just seems to have gone more to the small boats now than the charter boats. Over the past couple of winters, particularly the winter of 2009-2010, snowmelters had a vital role to play in determining whether fish stayed in the river beyond Christmas and for how long. But that isn't the only drawback to be overcome when fishing inside the river, because the tide also has a significant say in what you can and can't do. At peak flow, even on a neap tide, it can be ferocious. The combined efforts of the actual tide and the channel flow of the river can make pinning bait down on the bottom a thankless task. And unless you have a big enough anchor with plenty of chain and a nice shallow angle to the rope, keeping the boat fixed in your chosen spot can sometimes also be hard work. At what point then do you regard it as being unfishable on a rising set of tides within the fortnightly cycle? Well, once you get into the 27 footers, then you, you can fish about two and a half hours each side of low, on two and a half hours each side of high, and then the rest it absolutely draws through. You can't hold bottom, but on the ebb there's a lot of debris comes down, a lot of, when it's been raining heavy, there's a lot of grass and twigs and all sorts of rubbish. So it just lifts your base off the bottom. You can't hold it at all, but you can move in closer. If you get closer up to the edge of the dock walls and that, you can still get a day's fishing in. So it's not too bad. Or you can move into, you can fish the banks, fish the sandbanks off New Brighton any tide. It's only shallow, so we can hold bottom. You're up tide, it's not a problem. Fish up, fish up right through the side, up and down. So it's not a problem on the banks. It's just the river that absolutely roars through. So it's, you can either move inshore, anchor close inshore until the run eases off and then move back out. That seems to be the, the norm. Presumably then, this is a progressive thing with you adapting to each new situation as the tidal range increases. So how then do you go about tackling this in terms of lead choice, terminal rigs and approach? Surely uptiding has to give you more certainty of bottom holding than using drop down tactics. You can only uptide. You can use two pound lead, you still won't hold. So it's got to be uptiding with eight, ten ounce lead, fixed grip lead, cast as far as you can uptide. They will hold, they'll get you through, through the waist of the tide. Fishing the Mersey isn't just about tucking up inside, nor about small boats. There's also a healthy local charter fleet based at Liverpool Marina, the ranks of which are swelled over the winter months by boats moving up from Rill to take advantage of the shelter and the excellent winter potential too, which we have already looked at in a fair degree of depth. So tell us then what the summer months have to offer. Let's start by asking the question, is there anything worth fishing for inside when it's too windy to head out? You can still fish in the river if it, if it is blowing. Plenty of thornbacks, plenty of dabs and whiten, and not whiten in the win, in the summer but in the winter. A lot of flounders, place, quite a few place in the river. So if it is blowing, it's, it's worth giving it a try. There's always fish to be caught there, but most of the, the bass, smooth downs are all on the banks just outside. So you need a half decent weather forecast to get out to them. Most people come for that. They'll come for the bass and the smooth hounds on the banks. But if they are stuck, if they've travelled from a distance, they've always got the, the river to fall back on. There's still plenty of fish in the river. Plenty of thornbacks. Plenty of crabs in the river as well, both to rob your base and to provide a good food source for some of the more important species of fish. 
Which brings me on very nicely to the point that crab is a very important bait to have over the summer months, particularly if you intend fishing just outside the river mouth. Basically, you've got to have crab. You've got to have crab for the smooth hounds, and you don't have to have it for the bass. They've been using lugworm this year, later on in the season when the crab's been getting scarce, and they've been having some fantastic fishing with the with the um, just with the normal blow lugworm, catching bass when crab hasn't even been taken they haven't been taking the crab they've just turned onto the lugworm for some reason or other but you need the crab for the um, for the smooth downs they won't take nothing else the thornbacks will take anything mackerel herring squid lugworm whatever you throw at them they'll just take anything at all but you really need crab for the bass if you're going to have a good day out you need crab for the bass and the, the smooth downs and the best of the fishing outside is centred around the revetment walls. Can you explain to us then just exactly what these are and how they influence things? The revetment wall was put there to stop the sand off the banks falling into the shipping channel. It was built, uh, don't ask me when, <laughs> it was built a long time ago, but it's built of rocks that was piled up on barges, they just planted it right the way along. It must stretch for, say, seven miles maybe longer it goes right the way out both sides of the Queen's Channel right out to Q2 and the Q1 boy and that just basically stops all the sand from silting the shipping channel up it's a haven for crabs and prawns marine life all, all lives on it and that's what the bass come in for it's like a reef like an artificial reef and that's what the bass did patrol up and down there right the way out to the very end of it from one end to the other all the way out bass and smooth hounds are on top of it obviously looking for food and scurrying around but they shoal up on them and they shoal on the banks as well for the sand eels they seem to shoal on the banks for the sand eels early on in the season when they seem to thin out they start to move on to the um, the revetment it shows it on the big tide it comes right out of the water just like mountains of rock um, you've got to be very careful you don't hit it it is a bit of a safety hazard if you don't know what you're doing you could you could land up on top of it a few boats have done get stuck on it and even sunk on it <laughs> the fact that it's heavy snaggy ground will also be reflected in your tactics I remember for example when I fished with yourself and John you were both using strips of lead rolled up like a Swiss roll instead of a conventional weight we use little rolled up pieces of lead on a, a weak link and then if it gets stuck we can just pull it, it unravels and pulls itself out the, off the rocks or it'll just snap and, and we just tie another one on and we have it about 6 or 8 inches um, below the actual trace and the trace just flaps across the top of the, um, the revetment but you can lose quite a lot of tackle on, on it some parts it's really snaggy but that's what the fish like and that's, that's where you've got to fish if you want to fish you have to fish over them and you lose a bit of tackle but it's good fishing, so deep, deeper up with it. How does time of year and size of tide affect things there? The tides don't really matter. The height of the tides, the fish are there all the time. Time of the year, the best bass fishing is in May. The end of April, May and June. The shoals are quite thick, plenty of them. Then they start to thin out a bit, and they just start to go less and less and less through the, through the rest of the months. And then round about September, we get another influx, another big influx. 
and they seem to show back up again there's plenty of fish and then they seem to just disappear by October they're usually just gone completely and that's the end of them don't see them until the following year when we fished that trip I mentioned earlier they were about halfway through building the wind farm now that's up and running has it caused any problems in terms of restrictions or electromagnetism emanating from the cables going ashore possibly pushing the fish away well we don't they don't seem to be the fish are still turning up every year. We had um, a bit of a lull when they started pile-driving them in. They were pile-driving the stanchions in, the pipes, and they were, uh, the, the fishing seems to go off slightly while they were doing that. But since then, no, it doesn't affect it. I don't think it affects it one bit. The reason why I ask this is because when I talk to Tony Parry, who over the summer period switches from Liverpool to Rill, which itself now has two huge wind farms slap bang in front of a town, he found that in the vicinity of the cables, which in one case run along a gully he used to fish for taupe, the fish are no longer there, presumably because the electromagnetism disrupts their ability to detect prey from the electrical impulses of their heartbeat, and I wondered if perhaps the smooth hounds, which are also sharks, are affected in the same way. The cables run, basically, they don't run across any of the fishing ground, really. They run into Liso Bay, which is the other side of all the banks that we've got. They're basically the other side of our fishing zone. Nobody seems to fish actually where they, where they are running in. But we fish not far off it on this side of it, and there's no problem. There doesn't seem to be any problems at all. What about restrictions on movement? Um, there's no restrictions that for going there, but if, you, if they're working on them and you go close in and the, the dive boat's there, they, it'll just tell you to back off while they're, while they're working on it. But No, there's no restrictions at all. We haven't actually tried right by them yet, underneath them. We don't know what might be underneath them. Could be loads of fish underneath them, yeah. I don't think anybody's ever been in to try. It's something worth doing in the future anyway. Further out from the port, there are two more very good potentials that are worthy of mention here. The first of these is wreck fishing. Being such an historically important port, it goes without saying that for a whole host of reasons there are going to be lots of wrecks out in Liverpool Bay. So tell us then a little bit about these. They've been fished for years, the wrecks. They can fish quite well. There's plenty of pollock on them and pouty and poor cod, conger. We don't seem to get a run of cod on most of them. We've got one wreck called the Councillor, which I don't know, just attracts the cod for some reason. And it seems to be the only one that actually holds cod on it on a regular basis. But so far to go, the weather's got to be absolutely spot on. It's only about 18 miles. And for small boats, it's a, it's a bit of a journey. And to be honest, it's got to be a really nice day before you think of going. And what sort of numbers of wrecks are we talking about here? There is hundreds of them out there. And we must have fished 50 of them. But it's something we don't, they don't seem to do anymore. They seem to concentrate on the bass now on the banks, and that's about it. No, I might have one trip out there once a year when it's nice and flat, and we'll take a chance and go out. The fact that Liverpool Bay is, by comparison to other parts of the country, quite shallow, with a tendency for its wrecks to perhaps silt up, could be another factor in the species mix and range you can expect from them. Have you found this to be the case? Yeah, sometimes there's nothing, actually nothing on the wrecks at all and they're very hard to find. Sometimes you go out and there's barely a lump there. There's hardly anything there. Next time you go out, it, it's quite high. It's, it seems to silt up. Some of the wrecks seem to silt up more than others and some are actually silting up now and, and when you go to find them, they're just 
small lumps now instead of the big structures we used to get. And sometimes the water's not clear. If the water's not clear, then it's not worth fishing them. You just can't seem to get the artificials to... The jib mustn't be able to see them. And that, the problem is with the silt, is the colour of the water. The visibility must be nil sometimes out there. Other times it's crystal clear. So if you go out there for a the day, it's all hit and miss. So is the wrecking potential anything like as good now as when you first started visiting them? No, no, don't think so. The pollock are only small, can't get enough very big. It's sometimes not worth the travel all that distance. And is there anything in particular you put that down to? Um, I don't know, position of the wrecks, I think. Dirty water most of the time, pouring out the river. Not dirty, dirty, but silty water tearing out the river and... Once you get further down towards the Welsh coast, them wrecks start to fish a bit better off rail and they seem to be a lot clearer, a lot clearer water and deeper. And they do produce, they produce quite good pollock, garden, the usual wreck species. Our actual wrecks off the mouth of the Mersey are, aren't too good. You can get good days on them and you get terrible days on them. Most people tend not, not to go out now, unless it's really nice weather and somebody else has had a decent catch. And then they'll travel the 18 mile. It's a long way to go on a small boat, and it costs a, quite a lot to go out there to get in the boat and back. The other big potential for Liverpool is the Torb. If you recall, you and I did a video a couple of years ago aboard Stan Dickinson's boat Tusker. That day we went a fur all the way off, but presumably you don't have to head quite so far off. There's not many tow close in. The first tow ones are off the West Oil, which is probably about 12 miles. Now and again we get an influx of small tope on the banks and in the rock channel and around the, um, the revetment wall. But they're only ever small, not even five pounds, they're just three and four pounds, pups that have been dropped out here. Most of the tope fishing is at least at the bar light, which is about 12 mile. And in that area there, that's where the first big tope rounds are. And what are we talking about here in terms of size and numbers? Good tope, 28, 30 pound regulars. Bigger ones, £40. They have had the odd £50. Once you hit the, the shoals, there's plenty of them in the summer. What about other species too? There are some very big gurnards out there. In fact, the current British tub gurnard record of almost £11.5 came from this area. There are some big tub gurnards out there. Big ones. Lovely fish. And reds. And greys. The rays are pretty scarce now. Very scarce outside. I think they're being netted commercially with um, tangle nets. A lot of bullos, big bullos out there, good bullos as well. Double figures, well into double figures, plenty of them. And the usual dabs, waiting and stuff. But it's the top that are the big attraction. Yeah, they're the big attraction for the charter boats. Charter parties want the tow. That's what they go for. Essentially, when fishing the River Mersey, there are three main starting points. For the bigger charter boats, it's either Liverpool Marina or a pickup from Priory Wharf. But for the smaller trail boats, it's even more restricted than that. We only have New Brighton Beach, which can be a very dodgy place to operate from, particularly if there's any sort of a swell pushing in. Yet further upriver, where in the winter there are still plenty of fish, it can be as flat as a mill pond. I remember one day fishing from Tony Parry's Jensen 2 with 56 knots of wind blowing in from the southwest. And upriver, there was hardly a ripple. Unfortunately, on that day, any smaller boats confined to New Brighton launching would not have been able to get afloat that day. Yet, all the way along the Wirral side of the river, 
There are good, sheltered, already built concrete slips from which we could operate much more safely. Have you any idea, then, why they have locked barriers across them? Well, we've been through the council, we've been through all the channels to try and get them to open these, especially on a safety aspect, the sheltered slipways in the river. Um, we, we can't use them. We couldn't even get in if, if it was an emergency. We, I don't know why they've all been blocked off. I think it's so they can concentrate on the one slipway and, you know, everybody's using that one slipway. All the rest have been barriers put across and locked off. There's no particular reason. They reckon safety and access. But it isn't the safest option. I can appreciate the council wanting to concentrate all the small boating activity to one manageable area, but why not pick the safest, more sheltered option instead of the least safest exposed piece of beach where you often can't either get in or out at high water? It's not as if money-spending visitors and local rate-paying boat owners are asking anyone to spend any more money because these slips are already built. They're already built, yeah, but the council just won't entertain it. They just don't want to know. All they want us to do is launch it New Brighton and that's it. They have the payments for us to launch and they control that. And without the payment, they can't launch. So they seem to be policing that one particular slip and make sure everybody's got the payments. Where it would be tough for them to police two or three or four different slips along the coast. Where they, they know everybody's concentrated on that one slip, they can police it then and make sure they've got payments to launch. That's the only reason I can think they have an open number. It's a shame, really. Because sometimes we can't launch it in New Brighton, but we can launch down river. And we could get a day's fishing in, but they won't let us, they won't have it. Something over on the Liverpool side might also be helpful, though in fairness with all the docks, I can't see where it might go. There's been talk about building slips on the, on the uh, Crosby side and down river at Otterspool, but nothing's ever, ever come of it. They, I don't think they've got the money to do anything, or I don't think they're really bothered. Councils don't seem interested. To an extent, I can understand that, with all the current restrictions on spending under the Tory Lib Dem government coalition's austerity measures. But over on the New Brighton and Birkenhead side of the river, the money has already been spent. Uh, I don't know what it is. I think because the Coast Guard's based there at New Brighton, I think, and they operate the barriers to let you in and out, I think that's it. We're not putting anybody else on any other slips. So, you'll have to use the slip, we say. And there's no amenities there, nothing. There isn't even a hose pipe to hose pipe the boats down. It's nothing, and it's crowded in the summer. There's kids and women and dogs that are all over the beach. There's jet skis all over the beach, parked all over the beach. It's a nightmare. Plus, we can't park on the slipway now, put straps on the boat or anything like that. They've got all yellow lines across it. I don't know what, what the idea of that was for. I haven't got a clue. We've got to get put the straps on. If the tide's halfway in, it's up the slip. We've got to park on the slip to get the straps on before we go up the uh, ramp. So they haven't actually done anything to encourage uh, boat launching or nothing. Once they've took the money off us, that's it. They promised us all sorts, washing facilities, and nothing's come of it. They haven't given us anything. So, to sum things up then, the Mersey is full of fish. It's very sheltered, it has good small boat fishing potential, though access is less than ideal, and the charter fishing prospects are excellent. Yet even as recently as 30 years ago, nobody could have envisaged that as ever being the case. You never imagine the amount of fishing that's done now in the, in the river, compared to 20, well, say, longer, 30 years ago. You'd be lucky to see a small boat in the river. Nobody had one. 
they only had little dinghies with seagull outboards on and that was it and they just couldn't they couldn't fish the river because the, the run's too bad to even go in the river in them days with those type of boats it's only with the uh, the availability and the cost of small boats at the beginning where it became affordable for everybody to start off with boats get new boats get decent engines and, and give it a go and, and that's why it's it's gone on now it's a big big industry now small boats mostly small boats now than charter boats and despite the various problems then does the future still look bright for the Mersey oh I, I think so yeah there'll always be the charter boat industry there'll always be fishing in the in the river it's a nice place to to fish on the banks out just outside it's it's not far to travel it's just an idea I, I reckon they've got the best bass fishing in, in the country just outside the, the on the banks uh, just as if it was looked after it, it could be a big bonus for them it could be a big tourist attraction people have come from miles around if they, if they just policed it a bit better stopped the gill netting and commercial netting actually on these just these banks alone I think they get a big tourist industry you get a lot of people come from all over the country to fish for the bass but policing takes legislation and enforcement do you think then that people would be prepared to pay for a license even if they were assured that every penny taken would be used appropriately I, know, I think a license will never ever work for sea fishing I know the money will never go back into it but if it did if it did it would be an ideal situation but it just won't happen it'll never happen how are they going to stop the commercial boys if we could pay a £100 a year licence the commercial boys will just wreck the place anyway it wouldn't make any difference if we paid £100 a year for a licence the commercial boys are just going to wipe everything out anyway so it's not the end of theirs and might we do hope for better facilities in the future are the local authorities ever going to take sea angling seriously they've never taken angling seriously and they've never they've never been one for doing facilities for anybody really they're not really interested I don't know, they just not, I don't know whether they think it, there's no money in it for them, not enough people would come and fish it, they're just not bothered. But with so much investment in waterfront regeneration, wouldn't you think that any means of drawing extra visitor revenue in, plus the fact that Wirral Boat Club members are also ratepayers, might persuade them to put their hands in the pockets? New Brighton's been completely rebuilt over the last few years, and it's still, got, it's still ongoing now, there's millions and millions of pounds gone into it, nothing at all on actual recreational sea angling or whatever like that. What then would your message be to the local authorities? Yeah, they could spend a bit more on the fishing. Uh, or the amenities for fishing or in more even encouraging people to come to fish. It's not just a, a seasonal thing, it's a full twelve months. But uh, they don't they don't they don't seem to look at it that way. My only hope is that someone out there with their hands on the purse strings hears this and takes on board the quality of the asset they already have and then realise that with the tiniest bit of investment they could arguably get more comparative return for the money than many of the other more costly facilities that are going up all along the riverfront on both sides. My thanks then to Mick Duff for sharing his fishing experiences and his hopes for the future with us here. 